0: Hey everyone, Sabrina Medora here. While Homemade is taking a break, we wanted to highlight an episode from earlier in the season where I talk to Queer Eye's Antony Porowski about the power and glory of being a home cook. We also talk about early kitchen disasters, how Antony's mother influenced his love of food, and the importance of making a good egg. Enjoy!
1: Mother, excellent home cook. I think that's where I get my obsession with food and thinking about it and talking about it and constantly learning. She really instilled in us, you know, since we traveled as kids, whether it was my parents going off to some faraway place and coming back and then we would have food from that place or us traveling as a family together. It was always like, okay, what's our like hit list of restaurants? Which markets are we gonna go to? Everything always revolved around food.
0: Hello, food fans. I'm food writer and culinary entrepreneur Sabrina Medora, and you are listening to Homemade by All Recipes. Each week, we bring you talented home cooks, authors, chefs, and celebrities to discuss the memories and traditions behind some of their favorite foods, along with discussions on what's happening in food culture today. This week, we're chatting with food and wine expert Anthony Porowski from one of Netflix's most beloved shows, Queer Eye. Anthony Porowski is a proud home cook, self-taught and always on the hunt for new pantry staples to help round out his adventures in the kitchen.
1: Baking a pie is the direct opposite of the functionality of meal prep. A cup of sugar, okay, because it is a pie after all. <laughs> There's joy in it. That's something Holmes needs more of in his life.
0: In this episode, we talk about the importance of cooking as an act of self-care, a connection to your heritage and roots, and how the simplest of ingredients can become the most decadent of meals. We're also talking more about his latest book, Let's Do Dinner, available now. Please join me in welcoming Antony Porowski to Homemade. Anthony, you and I are going to bond so hard because one, we're both Canadian. Two, we love cheese. <laughs> Three, <sighs> we love dogs. I mean, the list really goes on and on.
1: It's already a great day. Um, so we're in Canada.
0: So I was born in Toronto. Okay. But I actually only lived in Canada for like two years of my adult life because after I was born, I grew up in India and Singapore and oddly, New Jersey and then went to college at like Indiana University and then Chicago, so i kind of been all over, but Canadian at heart.
1: Yes, represent. (laughs) And you're from Montreal, right? Uh, Yeah, from Montreal. My parents are from Poland and so are my sisters, and then I was the first one in my family born outside of Europe spent most of my youth there. And then when I started junior high, I moved to West Virginia and then back to Montreal and then back to West Virginia and then back to Montreal again. And then I've been in New York for about like 12 years now. Oh, wow. How does that feel? Being in New York? Yeah. I, I love it here so much. I love Montreal and I always highly encourage that like anybody who has the opportunity to should go visit because it's just it's mm-hmm. so incredibly diverse and multicultural and, and and played such an important role in shaping kind of like everything about me and how I approach food and cooking and all of that stuff. But when I came to New York the first time to visit, it was like, oh, my gosh, I like weirdly found this home that I didn't even know I had, and I fell deeply, madly in love with this city. And I've been here ever since. I'm always so excited to leave, but I'm even more (laughs) excited to come back, and it never gets old for me. I feel like coming from Montreal, the way that it's kind of set up, New York is kind of like a Montreal on steroids in some ways. So I feel like being raised in Montreal kind of really prepared me for being in New York.
0: Can we talk about Schwartz's for a hot second?
1: Oh my gosh, I haven't had... Wait, okay. (laughs) Okay, so it's so crazy that you brought up Schwartz's because my dad had like a Porosky family reunion and they had this like regatta. I'm using Uh the term regatta, that's what they call it. But it was like basically on like a small lake and they would do like paddleboard competitions. But anyway, one of the meals, they got full on Schwartz's smoked meat catered. And I was so jealous. Like I just Uh. missed the yellow mustard on the rye bread oh it's so good wait what's the fat situation for you do you like it lean medium or really fatty
0: i'm the person that will totally slather bone marrow on a ribeye
1: (sighs) wait (laughs) i love bone marrow so much and you just reminded me one of my favorite burgers that i ever had was at a restaurant called crown salt card manger in montreal a buddy of mine, I actually worked there as a waiter and we had a bone marrow burger. Oh yeah. So there were chunks of bone marrow in the burger and it was one of the most delicious things ever. Like it didn't even need, I love my condiments and it didn't need mayo or ketchup or special sauce or anything because it was just so much flavor. I love bone marrow. And then L'Express in Montreal, me and my sister used to go and they have a little fried piece of Savoy cabbage with a bit of flake salt. the bone marrow, and then you just slather it on some bread. And it's like, it's one of the greatest things ever.
0: So Anthony, you're on homemade. So we're going to be talking to all of our listeners about cooking at home and trying to like tie a little more into like, how can you get more comfortable in the kitchen? And how can you embrace your heritage in the kitchen? And I know that's something that is of particular interest to you. Because fun fact, I binge watched a lot of your Queer Eye episodes this weekend. And let me just say, I blame you for having me cry all weekend long.
1: <laughs> but like tears of joy too, right?
0: All weekend long. I was a blubbery mess. Oh, it just, this <laughs> my soul, it was like elevated. I was in love. I couldn't even believe it. So I'm actually very Aww. excited to have you
1: on. <laughs> Did you have like a hero or anybody who really stood out to you or somebody who you felt like you really connected with? There were two that really
0: stood out to me. One, Lucy, the 10-year-old. The ice skater with her dad
1: oh uh, yeah the pancakes what a sweet girl was, <laughs> she was she
0: not the cutest thing in the whole world
1: she was dangerously smart
0: oh god she was so sassy i loved her mm-hmm. uh, And but your yep. reaction
1: with the corgi so no one told me that there was going to be a corgi in that house and so when we arrived that was at the peak of my obsession with corgis I still love them very much, but like, I just showed up. And as you saw, I literally didn't even speak to our hero. I barely spoke to Lucy. I just sat on the floor. With the corgi in my lap and just tried to make him love me
0: oh that was really great okay so my favorite episode and it was so good that i watched it three times and i like made my husband watch it then i made my parents watch it i'm like you guys have to watch this and i cried every single time and maybe it's because <laughs> i have like a strong restaurant background but it was the jones
1: sisters they were genuinely so protective of that recipe like i know i like played into the mystique of like what is it they didn't want to show us, the camera crew, the producers, like that was all 100% real.
0: But, and so one of my questions was, did you get it? Did you get the secret ingredient? I won't ask you what it is. I just want to know if you got it.
1: Okay. I know it wasn't this, but it tasted kind of like a date syrup or like a pomegranate molasses or something. I genuinely don't know, but it was perfect. It was like not too spicy, sweet, and just like the right amount of thickness where it can just like slather your ribs perfectly. I loved it. Still don't know what's in it, but I guess sometimes you just don't know. It's like a New York City hot dog. You know what I mean? I don't even know what's in it.
0: Well, with that one, you don't want to know.
1: That's true, actually. Fair point. (laughs) But with this one, I really did want to know, but I've let them have their recipe. It should stay a family secret.
0: Yeah, I do have a hunch, though. Have you ever really gotten into Indian food?
1: So two houses down in Brossard, which is a suburb of Montreal, elementary school, My neighbor, Arjun Chotwal, who was like my best friend growing up. My parents would travel a lot. And the woman who took care of us would really like boil the hell out of Brussels sprouts. So they were really mushy and gross, but she was really sweet in all the other ways. So I used to run to Arjun's house and I had dal every single day, fresh roti, and all the best Indian food ever. I've never really taken it on myself to get into preparing that kind of food, but a lot of important people in my life, like Tan, who's Kashmiri finally started cooking for me and he makes the best doll. And my bestie Rima and her mom has come over and we've made like pani puri. Mm -hmm. So I'm well versed in shoving it in my mouth and really enjoying it.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you said pani puri. So you know, pani puri is a style of chaat, which is basically like Indian street food. And chaat means to Mm -hmm. lick. It's like lip smacking so you know the chat is essentially Ah. it's got all it's got texture spice sweet sour all the components so there's a chutney that we use and it's date tamarind chutney
1: okay i think i mentioned didn't i mention tamarind in the in the episode you
0: mentioned tamarind you did and so you know what i did that evening we went to get fried chicken and i brought out a thing of barbecue and i grabbed Ah. some of my date tamarind chutney and i mixed it and i added just a little bit of water and I think, wow,
1: I think, oh, my gosh, I want to I want to hit them <laughs> up now. I don't know if they use Insta or not, but I want to hit up. The, I don't want I don't want to scare them. This is just between us.
0: OK, let's take it all the way back to baby Antony.
1: OK, I love both my grandmothers dearly. They've both passed on. They both had really incredible qualities. Each of them cooking was not one of them. My mother, excellent home cook. I think that's where I get my obsession with food and thinking about it and talking about it and constantly learning. She really instilled in us, you know, since we traveled as, as kids, whether it was my parents going off to some faraway place and coming back and then we would have food from that place or us traveling as a family together. It was always like, okay, what's our like hit list of restaurants? Which markets are we going to go to? Everything always revolved around food. And that's kind of the way that I still travel today. And so I actually learned a lot from her, but she wouldn't let me cook with her because she's a lot like me for better or worse. And she liked things to be done a certain way. And so I would watch her and I would sit at the kitchen island as a kid and just kind of really observe. But I only really started to to take it more seriously and more regularly when I was in college. And I had my first apartment with my roommate, Nabil. His parents lived in Lebanon and in uh, Budapest, and my parents were in the U.S. So we were left to like fend for ourselves. So one of us had to learn how to cook, and it wasn't going to be him. So I kind of like taught myself then using like what I had remembered, what I would observe my mother doing, which I think actually, in in retrospect, it was probably the best way to learn just really by like observing and being quiet and then acting on it later on when I kind of had my own kitchen to mess up.
0: I was laughing when you said that because you just told my story (laughs) really my mom taught herself how to cook because my grandmother can't boil an egg she can't even boil water forget an egg because, you know, she grew up in India, and in India, there's so many people, and you just have people that come and cook and clean, and it's just how it is. Right. So she never did anything. Yeah. And my mom was the one who, when she went to London and then the U.S., she just started teaching herself. But my mother is such a organizational clean freak that every time I asked if I could help, she would be like, no, you're going to make a mess. Get out of here. <laughs>
1: That was it. That was the same explanation. I think that's like in the mothers from foreign countries guidebook on how to deal with their kids. It's always like, no, you're going to make a mess. Stop.
0: Yeah. So I taught myself in college. And let me tell you the disasters that my kitchen went through before I could call myself something of a cook. (laughs) Okay, tell me your worst. Uh, We'll trade you tell me the worst thing that happened to you in the kitchen in college. I'll tell you mine.
1: Actually, it was the first night. So my friend Nabil, he had a two-bedroom condo, and I moved in with him. And so it was all set up with like furniture. I didn't have anything except just my psychology, like all my textbooks, and then like clothes and gym clothes, and that was it. And like a big stack of books. And so I felt like I really kind of wanted to contribute and show up. So I asked him like, "What's your favorite thing?" And he was like, "Oh, it's eggplant parm." I was like, "Great, I'm gonna make eggplant parm tonight." Barely looked at a recipe. I also have like pretty severe ADD, ADHD. So I kind of glance over recipes and I try to understand the gist of it. And I look at like two to three different sources and I try to take like the recurring pattern or the method or the technique and I just try to remember it and then I just go and do it. That said, I was very unsuccessful. I did not realize that, like, this is how little I knew at the time because we never really fried anything at home. We ate really healthy. I'd Didn't realize that oil has to be hot before you put something in it. So threw the eggplant in, did the dredging and all of that successfully. My hands were all clumpy because I didn't realize that one hand should be dry, the other hand should be for the wet, you know, for the flour and the breadcrumbs and then for the milk and for the seasoned egg wash. So I had big clumpy fingers, put it in cold oil. It was the mushiest. It was like marinated eggplant with raw egg that barely cooked. It was so gross. But I screwed it up so bad and he was so gracious about it. And I was like, never again am I going to mess this up. And then I have been doing it almost perfectly since. You have to make those mistakes, though. It's so necessary. At the time, it's like embarrassing and kind of like kills your ego a little bit. But that's how you're going to learn. That's like a general life rule, you know?
0: Absolutely. My mom makes this dish called kima, which is like a a minced beef with lots of spices. And then we put it on spaghetti and have a big like thing of cheese on top and just go for it. It's kind of like an Indian bolognese, if you will. That was like my comfort food growing up. But one of the key ingredients is lal masala, which is like a red spice paste that we make from Kashmiri red chilies and apple cider vinegar and cumin and garlic, lots of garlic. And so my mom sent me the recipe. She's like, here's what you need to do. So I (laughs) got one of my friends to drive me to like the semi-Indian store in Bloomington, Indiana, (laughs) found the (laughs) chilies, came home. And I started to like whip stuff up in the blender. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. Easy peasy. And then I closed the lid on the blender and I hit start and the entire blender exploded What? because I had left a metal spoon in there.
1: Oh, no. That's always my fear. Yeah.
0: It happened. Oh. It happened. And mine was metal. I'm like, what? And oh, my God, my entire kitchen was it looked like a crime scene because it looked like there's blood splattered everywhere. <laughs> but it was just massage. Oh Masada.
1: Right. So, oh, so your blender canister actually shattered. It
0: totally exploded.
1: Wow. It actually
0: shattered. That's kind
1: of terrifying.
0: Yeah. And thank God I had walked away. So like you know you have to have those extremely big mess ups and I think that if you step foot in the kitchen again after that you are one brave
1: soldier. Totally. And tell me, how many times have you left a metal spoon in your blender since?
0: Uh not once.
1: Exactly. It cost you a blender, but like what an important lesson and then you can teach other people.
0: Cost me a blender and <laughs> <in> my ego. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to homemade. Stay tuned as Anthony tells me his secrets to making a great egg and how to gain more confidence in the kitchen as a home cook. We'll be right back after the break. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on animal welfare certified bone and beef short ribs, sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano Reggiano, charcuterie and ground lamb. Grab an olive boule bread from the bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21+. Please drink responsibly. Welcome back to Homemade. I'm food writer Sabrina Medora, and my guest this week is food and wine expert Anthony Porowski from Netflix's hit show, Queer Eye.
1: I find it so interesting when you hear about like certain dishes in different cultures with the similarities. There's something that gives me like a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling when I think of different cultures and the similarities we have in dishes.
0: I think that we can so often have multiple people with differing views sit at a table And you're like, oh, your mom made that? My mom, oh my gosh, but that tastes like this. And you could just go on and on and on because, I mean, food is something that is so much a necessity in our lives. But at the same point, it also is one of our biggest pleasure points. Totally. And so how can you not find those common threads?
1: I think it's the number one pleasure point. It's everything. If you want to learn about your heritage and where you come from, You can do that through food if you want to connect with other people, if you're having a bad day, if you're having a good day. It's like all the best moments that I have of growing up with my really dysfunctional family were always around a table, breaking bread and like sharing a meal together.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like sometimes for home cooks, they're so intimidated to make what is of their own heritage, maybe because there's like added pressure or you think it's not going to come out as right. And I know that you've had that on Queer Eye where you meet people that don't cook from their family recipes. What is some of that advice that you give them?
1: In my experience on Queer Eye, there are two types of people. There's one type where they used to cook a lot and then something happened in their lives and they just sort of gave up on it and just stopped doing it. And for me, it's just kind of like lighting that little pilot light and getting them excited about doing it again and going into nostalgia. And then with other people, they're the more challenging ones, but also the most fun because they're the ones who will come up and be like, food is just about sustenance. I can eat granola every day and I'm fine. And I eat like protein bars. And it's like, okay, look, it's gotta be more than that. I understand that not everyone's going to be as obsessed as I am, but everyone has their version of something. In season one, episode two, we had Corey Waldrop, who was a cop and he really wanted to be vegan, but he ate these protein bars that had whey protein, which is cow because there's dairy in it. So I wanted to get him kind of like curious about like what it was like in food that he had. And he mentioned one thing and it was off camera and I've spoken to him about it since and he's comfortable with me talking about it. And I think it's a beautiful story. I asked him like, what's the most memorable thing you had as a kid growing up, like a meal that you had? And he's like, well, we actually grew up really poor. My father was working almost all the time, but once a week he was like, this is so silly, but this is like my very favorite thing. He would take a paper plate and smear peanut butter on it and then just drizzle a little bit of honey. And then Corey and all of his siblings and his mom and his dad would sit at the table and they would take a spoon and they would just take a bite of like peanut butter with honey. And that was like a special thing that they had, which I think is like, it's so beautiful. Like he hadn't thought about that in a really long time. He'd never been prompted to think about it. And his face just lit up so much in like the most beautiful endearing way over peanut butter and honey. It's like, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be super complex or it can be like the simplest little thing ever, you know?
0: And that's what your new book is all about, is taking pantry staples and just putting a little twist on
1: it, right? Totally. My first book was sort of, I was thrust into everything that came with Queer Eye and had an opportunity to write a book. And I made it very autobiographical and the dishes that have shaped me and dishes that didn't make it into Queer Eye and a lot of Polish stuff. And it was everything from the super simplistic to like the more laborious. And then with Let's Do Dinner, over the pandemic, so many people are making like banana bread and taking on bread, and they've never really baked before and being really ambitious. I'm an optimist through and through. And I really do feel like now as the world starts to slowly open up, people still want to cook, but they don't have as much time. So I wanted to create a book that was kind of a reflection of what my life is now. Because the irony is, since Queer Eyes come out, I'm not in my kitchen as much as I used to be. Like I used to cook all the time. And so I still want to eat really good meals, but I don't have as much time to prepare them. And a lot of times I'm just figuring it out as I go. And I have a pantry that's filled with certain things and like go-tos that I always lean towards. And so it's been fun to explore and 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 figure out like what goes well together and what doesn't.
0: Right, and I think something that would be great to hear from you is when you're not used to just taking stuff from the pantry and whipping something up, You almost feel like it'll take more time. How does one get more savvy with using what's already there and making it a quick type of dinner?
1: I think it's good to be aspirational and it's good to kind of like go outside of our comfort zone and to be curious. But at the same time, look at the life that you actually have and the things that you actually like to eat. I love to eat well. Most weeks, like I'll start out a little plant-based and then I move on into fish and then I move on into meat. Red meat I treat as more of like a special occasion, but chicken, as basic as it is, that's like 60, 70% of my meals. So it's figuring out different ways how to like use that one thing. And so without being too gimmicky or like four ingredients or less and like have this ready in 10 minutes, which I love those books, but that's just not me. It's figuring out how to have hacks and things that you can kind of reuse. Like I am obsessed with rotisserie chickens. You can get really good antibiotic free ones for really cheap that aren't flavored with anything that are like kind of like a neutral canvas and you can crisp them up in a pan. You can throw them into a sauce. Sometimes I'll take on something that's really ambitious and I'll go to a grocery store and I realize I have to buy like 20 different ingredients and I'm going to use one tenth of the packaging. And then what am I going to do with the rest? So there is a lot of repetition in the book of like ingredients that I use in different sections for different types of meals. But that's very purposeful because I live in New York and my kitchen You know, it's bigger than the kitchen that I had when I lived in Brooklyn, but it's not that big. And space is definitely a thing. And I hate food waste. That's something that was instilled in me since I was a little kid. I hate throwing stuff out. So I love things that have a really good shelf life that I can keep reusing and repurposing. And I think this book is really about that.
0: That's so smart. On Queer Eye and in all your interviews, you call yourself a cook and not a chef because you haven't been to culinary school. You majored in psychology And despite the fact that you are, quote unquote, the food and wine expert, you're very comfortable
1: with the moniker of cook.
0: Can you tell us why a little bit?
1: You know, I've worked in restaurants for like 10, 12 years. It was one of the first jobs I ever had was a busboy and made my way to a runner and a waiter and a manager and a song. And I've worked with actual chefs who went to culinary school. And so it kind of makes me uncomfortable to give myself the title of someone who has not educational and practical background in that when I refer or as I refer to myself as a cook I feel like that kind of gives me a little bit of freedom where I'm doing my own thing and if I'm doing my own thing I'm a bit of an outlier and therefore I feel like it's like my rebellious nature where I feel like I can't be owned by or I don't have to like speak for certain people where I can just do my own thing with freedom because before queer I came about like Food was something for me that was very intimate and it was very personal, kind of like my sexuality. It wasn't anything that I was extremely public about. I was very comfortable with it and I really loved it, but it was something that was sacred and it still is. And with Queer Eye, basically this show asked me to talk about my personal life and cook for people in a professional capacity. It was like the two things where I was like, no, these are mine. You can't have these. I'm not sharing them with anybody I was kind of like thrust into that. So it was important for me to maintain a comfort level in referring to myself as a cook. I get uncomfortable when people just kind of throw around titles and call themselves whatever it is that they want. You know, Food and Wine Expert is a title given to me by Queer Eye and I'm very grateful for it. And I do the best that I can with that title, but I'm a home cook.
0: And sometimes people take home cook, they're like, oh, I'm just a home cook. But being a home cook is one of the most powerful, wonderful, glorious things that you can be. And even if you're not good at it, it's still powerful and wonderful and glorious because you're
1: doing the thing. Totally. You're doing the thing. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for your loved ones, hopefully sometimes for people in your community. And it's a never ending passion. Like there's always something new to learn. No one knows everything.
0: And what would you say to home cooks that are trying to explore being in the kitchen as an act of self-care, especially after everything we've been through this past year?
1: I will say I'm bringing up Queer Eye again because it is such an important part of my life and it has really shaped through the people that I've met, the heroes, the people that we help, that's what we call them. It's really kind of shifted and shaped the way that I look at all this and I Remember, there was a young girl, an activist named Abby in our Philadelphia episodes, and she was living in a house with a whole bunch of other activists for the Sunrise Movement, doing incredible work. And she had the responsibility of cooking a meal for people once a week. And it was the thing that brought her the most stress because she didn't want to screw it up. She wanted it to be perfect because she wanted to show respect for all these people who were working so hard. And it's just like she would just like clench and quiver whenever it came to be her time to cook. And what I tried to explain to her was like for me cooking through like the stress of every day-to-day life, whether it's a really busy day or just my own existential angst or my dog pulling on the leash a little too hard during walks. When I'm in a kitchen and I put some music on and just sit there chopping vegetables, I don't use a food processor. If I'm making, you know, my mirepoix for my bolo, I just take the time for it it's the most meditative calming thing for me because in my mind anything where i can just focus on one thing is the greatest gift i can give myself because i'm constantly thinking about a million different things they say that anxiety is obsession over the future and depression is focusing too much on the past and if i get caught up in those two like i'm in trouble and then i need like a double therapy session that week but When I'm cooking, I'm just in the moment and I'm focusing on making sure that my carrots, my celery and my onions are all the perfect size and that my proportions are right and that everything is going smoothly and I get to just focus on that. it's a moment that I have for me. And it's an opportunity to think about other people. If I'm making food for my boyfriend, for example, and if I'm making dinner and I know that he's had like a long day of Zooms and I get to show up for him, even if I'm making myself like soft scrambled eggs in the morning, which takes like five, six minutes, when I perfect those scrambled eggs, like I'm gonna have a good day.
0: And your trick for soft scrambled eggs is just adding a little water into the whisked eggs, right?
1: Adding a teaspoon for every egg and then really keeping it under low heat. And a technique I've been using that I learned in Japan is actually using chopsticks. Or you can use kind of the pointy edge of like a a silicone spatula to get a really nice small curdle on the eggs and keep it under low heat. There's actually soft scrambled eggs with shrimp and a little dollop of sour cream, which is like the most decadent. Dinner. It's breakfast, but sometimes I have it for dinner if I'm like in a pinch and I just have some frozen shrimp laying around. I think it's like four or five ingredients. It takes about 10 minutes start to finish. And you have like the creamiest eggs with some extra added protein. And I'm obsessed with shrimp. Everyone should know how to prepare eggs at least two to three different ways.
0: Gospel from Anthony Prowski. (laughs) Gospel.
1: Gospel. There's an entire section on eggs in Let's Do Dinner. That's how important they are to me. They're cheap. They're packed with protein, omega-3s. They're good for you. What's not to love?
0: I can't wait. I can't wait for the book. Can't wait for it to come out. Can't wait to see what you do next. I think it's going to be fabulous. And I just want to say, I think that what all of you guys are doing on that show is just so heartwarming and wonderful and joyful. So thank you for sharing that with us.
1: Thank you. We're going to. Continue doing it until Netflix stops renewing our contracts, but hopefully that's not anytime <laughs> soon.
0: <laughs> A big thank you to Anthony for joining us today here on Homemade. You can follow him on Instagram at Anthony and be sure to check out his new book, Let's Do Dinner, out now. You can also watch him in action on Netflix's Queer Eye. Be sure to follow Homemade on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We're always looking for feedback on the show. So if you love us and have a second, please rate this podcast and leave us a review. Don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. And you can find me personally on Instagram at Sabrina Medora or at sabrinamedora.com. This podcast was produced by All Recipes with Digital Content Director Jason Burnett. A big thank you to our production team of Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croth, and Andy Bosnack at Pod People. This is Homemade. I'm Sabrina Medora. And remember, cook with love, eat with joy.